Today we'll hear from Professor Frances Fry about her case entitled Discovering Hidden Gems, the story of Daryl Morey, Shane Battier, and the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Brian Kenny, and you're listening to Cold Call. So we are all sitting there in the classroom. The professor walks in. And, and they look up and you know it's coming. Oh, the dreaded cold call. Professor Fry teaches in the MBA and doctoral programs here, as well as the executive education program. Her research examines how organizations and individuals can reliably deliver excellence. And that, in fact, is a theme that ties directly to the case that we're going to discuss today. Francis, welcome. Thank you very much. So I'm going to ask you to start just by simply opening the case up for us. You know, tell us uh, who's the protagonist here and what's the setting. So the protagonist is Daryl Morey, and he is the general manager of the Houston Rockets. And Shane Battier is one of the players that he recruited. And essentially, the story is, why Shane? Why the Houston Rockets? The punchline is that Shane Battier has a different value depending on which team he goes to. While that might have been well understood prior to this, he was probably paid the same price regardless of which team, even though his value to that team would be very different. So this case is an exploration of how do you figure out the value of a player paired with a specific team context. Great. And we're going to get into that more deeply. Your research, by and large, focuses on service excellence in service organizations. And so I'm wondering how you made the leap to the NBA. So in my world, a service organization is anything you can not drop on your foot. And so in <laughs> basketball, you can drop a basketball on your foot, but that's about it. It's it. a, to me, it's a service organization. Um, I played college basketball, so there is a deep-seated desire on my part to do this. And I have I found myself working with the general managers of a few NBA teams. Daryl was, was not the first one. And so it's a private obsession of mine is to help NBA teams. And I'm interested in um, how you can unleash the talent of individuals. And to me, that's what basketball is about. I thought the case actually had just a wonderful overview of the game. There's historical context here. I thought the most amazing thing that you did was you encapsulated the rules of basketball into a single paragraph. And it's very clear and concise, probably the most concise it's been written anywhere. So we teach a very international audience. Basketball is only known to a, you know, maybe 20%, maybe 30%. So I acted as if I was writing about cricket, yeah, <laughs> uh, but did it for basketball and tried to describe basketball to a non-U.S. or a non-basketball-centric environment. That you think that I might have gotten close is great. I will tell you that I wrote this case with Matt, an MBA student who was obsessed about getting it right for every one of his classmates. Mm -hmm. And so I think he went and tested the paragraph. So at least all 90 people in his section said that they understood basketball as a result of it. So hats off to Matt. So at the time of the case, the Rockets were kind of a mediocre team, right? They were a 51% winning team. They were never terrible. They were never great. But, you know, in comes this new GM, Daryl Morey. Can you describe, A, what's the role of of the GM and the team? And B, what's Daryl's leadership style like? It's important context to know that Daryl came from after having deep roots at MIT and was a geek. Uh Um, I mean, played basketball, but he was a geek first. And the general manager is, uh, they have to get the players that the coach is going to coach. So you have to satisfy the coach, and you have to satisfy the owner. The owner gives you a budget, (laughs) and the coach gives you demands. Mm -hmm. And so the general manager makes it happen in between. He did not have the budget that everyone else, that he didn't have the budget he wanted to satisfy the needs. So he had to apply a great deal of intelligence for how do I meet their needs without spending a fortune. Mm -hmm. And so... 
because he's a data hound, he was really obsessed with Moneyball, as was I. And so we would talk about Moneyball. Um, Moneyball being the uh, the book that had come out uh, that year that re- about Billy Bean, who yeah. was the general manager of the Oakland Athletics. Yes, thank you. And if I could summarize the learning from Moneyball for baseball, it was you found out what you were overpaying for or underpaying for. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that if I was overpaying for walks or underpaying for walks, it was every team would know they were overpaid or underpaid. It was that you had the same value for every team. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about basketball is basketball is the ultimate team sport, right? You, no one can sport, score a basket without the help of someone else. So it's not possible if we step back and think everyone should have the same value no matter what team they're on. It mm-hmm. has to do how well do I fit with the team? So Daryl was really interested in thinking, how well does Shane Battier, as the example here, but how well does a person fit with a team? So the end result was coming up with a beautiful, like if you like math and big data and geek, like just a beautiful, (laughs) poetic way of looking at how much better are my teammates when I'm on the floor and how much worse are my opponents when I'm on the floor versus when I'm off the floor. Mm -hmm. And imagine if you could know that for every person, then I get to know how I get to know how valuable Shane is. The funny thing is, Shane was being paid, as was every basketball player, by their individual statistics. Mm-hmm. So you could predict somebody's salary based on the number of years they were out, the points they had, the rebounds they're at. The correlation was ridiculously high. So here's a perfect arbitrage situation. I pay you for your individual performance. Your team performance matters wildly. So I'm going to go find people who don't have good individual performance right. as a first get and great team performance and get them for what turns out to be a bargain. Shane Battier was one of the best team players of all time. And so the reason he became that example, even though he was paid well, he wasn't paid superstar, and he was a superstar team performer. And what's interesting about that is it's completely counter to the way most people think about how you build a championship team. You go find champions. You go find people who perform you know, great individually. Uh, but here, he's looking at the team chemistry. He's working within the confine, the economic confines of how you pay. Can you talk a little bit about those limitations? Yeah. And I'll just say the first thing, everyone who's not in basketball thinks the way to build a championship <laughs> team is to put together a bunch of stars. I don't know a single basketball player who thinks the way to, uh, to, the way to do it is, uh, is to put together all stars because there's only one ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of work to be done on the court. And the economics, the economic situation is that everyone doesn't have the same budget for a whole bunch of media reasons and a whole bunch of how much any individual group of owners are going to invest and if you're in a small market or a big market. And so what I love, I love when the well-intentioned, uh, energetic little guy wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Shane was, he began this, I think a lot of teams are doing it now, but I mean, uh, Daryl began this with Shane. Um, This was using your intelligence to outwit the seemingly unlimited, although that's probably not true, but the seemingly unlimited budgets of the competition. The parallel would be, you know, the New York Yankees today in baseball. They don't seem to have the same type of problems that the Pittsburgh Pirates might have in terms of meeting their budget. Mm -hmm. In the case you quote the Houston Chronicle uh, as saying about this is about Daryl Morey when he was brought on, that it was an astounding change of direction. And he was the first GM, it sounds like, in the NBA to really take this kind of an analytical approach to bringing players in. Can you talk about the notion of a trade asset? Because that's, I think, central to the beginning of the case when he picks up this superstar player and all the fans are related. And then within minutes, he pops that bubble and, and does a deal. Yeah, and that was one of the more courageous acts 
um, because he clearly to get short-term gratification from the fans, the thing to do was to keep that person. He knew that to get long-term benefit, that wasn't the right thing to do. This is like a classic leadership problem. Mm -hmm. Do you succumb to the short-term joy or do you suck it up without being able to explain a rationale that they'll be able to understand in order to plan for the future? Uh, I think Daryl Morey's a great leader. He happens to be a GM in basketball. So if we can take this into the classroom for me, um, you've discussed this case in class. Yeah. I would love to hear how the students uh, approach this. How do they tackle this, this challenge? People beyond those who liked basketball, which again was maybe 20% of the class, mm-hmm. everyone walked away with leadership lessons. Everyone walked away thinking, am I likely to be in a baseball, so more individual sport uh, basketball, more team sport. If I give you that continuum and you're going to go out into your job, where are you likely to be? They all found themselves on the basketball side of the continuum. Mm-hmm. And so the lessons that they could take from this, how much better are people as a result of my presence? Yeah. <laughs> really fundamental lesson that this might be the best case for teaching that. Shane Battier, how much better are players when he's on the court? Now, there is the twist of how much worse are the opponents that we don't often have in competitive markets. But my favorite definition of leadership is, are people better off as a result of your presence? And Daryl Morey did that for basketball in a way that it hadn't been done before. And I think that's pretty amazing. Is there a, a, a corollary to this in another industry? Maybe you've, you've studied so many organizations. Is there a place where you've been Let's where you say— Let's bring it to academia. Bring it to academia. We, we get measured on our individual performance, on how many papers we get, and on how of this. How about if we looked at a unit and said, how much better is the unit as a result of your presence? How much worse is the unit when you're, when you're not there? I think every organizational form is a team dynamic. And I think, by and large, we're all a lot like basketball. We pay you for your individual metrics, and we thrive based on your team performance. I think we're just at the dawn of figuring out how to do it. I may have to take that to the dean. That's great advice. (laughs) Professor Fry, thank you for joining us. What a deep pleasure. Thank you. You can find this case along with thousands of others in the Harvard Business School case collection at hbr.org. I'm Brian Kenny. Thanks for listening to Cold Call, the official podcast of Harvard Business School.